coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Then I slipped the anchor rope and I let a bunch of rope out and uh, let go of the oar. And as the boat starts to swing downstream, both these packerwoods stood up on the right side of the boat at a tip. Okay. Then it tripped on a rock and, and the flow pushed us right up and uh, threw me out, out of the boat, uh, lost the oar, lost my glasses. That was Barry White sharing a near-miss story in the old Lavro. The Bow River swinging soft tackles and a classic trip with Lefty Cray today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Today's episode is sponsored by Trestle, who you know from their game-changing telescopic fly rod roof rack systems. But did you also know that Trestle just released the only universal bike rack system designed exclusively for the angler and outdoorsman? You can check out this new universal rack system at wetflyswing.com slash Trestle right now to see their full line of gear-carrying products and the Artist Series apparel. That's Trestle, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Trestle, live your pursuit. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We've got a big push right now for Instagram. You can head over to at uh, wetflyswing on Instagram right now and follow us and submit your question of the week for the next guest we have coming up. We've got the Q&A, the new Q&A series. You can also find it at wetflyswing.com slash QA, QA, and that'll redirect over to Instagram to our page and uh, to that page where you can ask a question. Today's episode is sponsored by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory, Idaho's most renowned zone for fly fishing, from the Henry's Fork to the South Fork of the Snake, and all the high alpine lakes and streams in between. Yellowstone Teton Territory provides anglers and other outdoor enthusiasts with all the information they need to plan their next big trip. You can visit wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now to get the full list of outfitters, lodges, fly shops, and all kinds of inspiration to get you started on your next trip to Eastern Idaho. That's Teton, T-E-T-O-N, wetflyswing.com slash Teton. The great Barry White is here to break down a life as a fly fishing guide focused on the Bow River. We discover how to fish the Bow River Barry style what big dry flies are all about on the bow, and uh, and some classic stories of overnight camping on the river, and uh, and what Barry has coming up next. Pretty interesting to hear. After so many years on the river, Barry's still going strong. We've got another fly fishing legend today. Here we go. Barry White from bowriver.com. How you doing, Barry? I'm doing fine. What a beautiful day. Yeah, is it pretty nice out there? Yeah, the, the sun's out and it's clear, and the river's uh, just about free of uh, floating ice. And oh wow, yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna dig into it now. Remind me again, the Bow River. What part of the uh, of Canada are we talking about here? Uh, the Bow River flows out of uh, the Banff National Park through through the Stampede Capital, Calgary, Alberta, and then uh, joins up with a couple others and ends up in eventually in the Hudson's Bay. Right, that's right. So you're at it right out of Banff. You're in that. Uh, what is Banff? Uh, you know, for those that haven't been there, why is that a national park? Oh well, it, uh, why is it a national park? Well, it started off as with uh, natural hot springs that they had there, and and um, the Trans Canada Highway and the Canadian National Railway, Canadian Pacific Railway, all had to go through the mountains, and that was the easiest way to pass to go through. 
Oh, gotcha. Yeah, but I'm in Calgary, and I'm not bad. Now, that's an hour and a half away, and uh, the fishing's not as good up there as it is downstream from Calgary. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So so we're going to dig into the Bow River today and talk about, you know, if somebody's coming out there to hit it. It's definitely a well-known river, and I'm sure there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um, but take us back real quick to fly fishing. How did you first get into fly fishing, and we'll take it into what you do on your, your guiding? Well, uh, as a kid, the old man took me down to the river and gave me a, a cane pole and a can of worms and said, sit there. And uh, I caught a few fish and then developed, you know, at age eight, he gave me a spinning rod. And from age eight to 27, 25, I guess, was when I first picked up a fly rod. And uh, uh, I like to fish. I like to row the boat. And uh, I was working. Uh, at the fishing hole retail outlet in Edmonton and Russell Thornberry had a guide service called the Bow River Company. And uh, he came in one day that his, his number one guide, Jim McLennan, was getting married and he needed somebody to row the boat. And uh, so I stuck my hand up in the air and one thing after another, I ended up down there uh, a couple of days, uh, right at the beginning of July and did a couple of floats with Jim. And uh, later that week, I was guiding. And our first guide boat was a, you know, a short little, they called it a 12-footer, but it was 10 feet, 3 inches. And it was a car top for aluminum boat. And we spent uh, two days on the river. Uh, the first day, I was fishing and um, listening to what he was saying. And then the next day, I rode. And, uh, he got married on the 9th of July, and I was guiding. I did uh, 12 float trips while he was on his honeymoon and uh, fell in love with the idea of it. So, wow. And that was in 1977. 77. Did Jim McLennan, did he come back to that job? Oh, yeah. He came back and was guiding. He guided for a couple, three years uh, full-time on the river. And then he spun off into other things, and he he was involved with Country Pleasures uh, Orvis Shop in Calgary, and and uh, didn't have as much time to spend rowing the boat. But me, I've been doing it. This will be year forty-seven. Wow. Uh, 47. Well, you know, they could say it could be a mental issue. <laughs> you know, I couldn't think of doing anything else. Yeah. But uh, I just just like sitting in the boat rowing. And, uh, you know, I've learned enough about the river that it'll make a liar out of anybody, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been, uh, having a good time. I've had the chance to fish with some pretty good people, uh, Lefty Craig being oh, wow. probably, and I, I spent a week with him, uh, and we did a video that was produced by Bill Bird's Outdoor Safaris called Lefty Cray Fly Fish in Alberta's Bow River. That was the longest title. Uh -huh. <laughs> anyway, we, we, and that way we did that in 1985. And uh, I fished with uh, Paul Jorgensen and Dave Whitlock. And, and uh, uh, well, there's been a few others. But, you know, basically I end up uh, doing a lot of coaching and teaching. I um, was involved with the... Federation of Fly Fishers, now called the International Federation of Fly Fishers. And uh, 
we had a conclave that I chaired in Calgary in 1992, and uh, Mel Crager put on the first um, casting certification program, and I was uh, in the group, and I was probably the first one to get certified as a as a fly casting instructor for the FFF. Oh wow! And, and then in 1995, feeling that I needed more more uh, credential, I was the first Canadian certified master in 1995 down in Livingston, Montana. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. And, uh, I managed to maintain that for all these years. And, uh, yeah, my prime focus on the Bow River is to teach people how to fly fish. And, uh, I use the Bow River. It is tough water to fish. It's, it's, uh, well, I've already said the word tough. It's real challenging. Challenging. It's not a, yeah, and our one of the reasons it's challenging is our trout are native. Uh, there's no hatchery trucks show up at the river every year dumping fish in, and uh, so our fish get big. They get wise. Right. And what are these? What are the species that you're targeting there on that river? Well, the fly fishing is basically for the brown trout and the rainbow trout, and uh, but we also have mountain whitefish and northern pike in the river. And uh, some of the northern pike the guys are catching are well over thirty inches, and they're the red, they're a redfin species of pike, and they're pretty tough. But the trout fishing is what I'm there to show people how to how to catch. Gotcha. That's really cool. So, what was? Why do you think? What did Lefty Cray? Why did he come up there back in the '80s? What was he looking to? What got him to the Bow River? Was it you or was it the river? It was me. Well, it was me primarily, but. There was rumors going around about the Bow River. Uh, you know, it, the guiding on the Bow really started in 1975. So it was uh, trying to get the word out across, uh, across the world that the trout fishing in the Bow River was something worthwhile doing. And uh, I saw him at the conclaves and at the boat and sportsman shows around the, around the states that I attended. And... Uh, I talked him into coming up. Uh, he fished with me in 84. Um, well, he fished the Bow River in 84. I think he went with Jim and a few other people. But uh, we had an opportunity to get him into some dry fly fishing. And he thought that was pretty good. And I guess he was good friends with uh, the people that handled Bill Bird's outdoor safaris. And uh, he put it together. And then I talked to Alberta Tourism to help cover some of the expenses to get them up here and get the crew in, into Calgary. Uh, the video uh, was 27 minutes long. It was capable of going on television. It, uh, you know, that's what they had done it for. And that was, that was a precursor before the hour and a half videos that came out of Scientific Anglers. Oh, right. Uh, you know, the, the, the where to go fish and stuff. Wow, that's really good. And what was what was Lefty? What do you remember about Lefty Cray on that trip that that he was out there? Well, he 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 only liked peanut butter sandwiches and <laughs> it, didn't like onions. And uh, he he told me that I should quit looking for Bigfoot because he was standing in the front of the boat because uh, he kept <laughs> stepping on his fishing line. So. <laughs> right, that's awesome. So you guys spent like a couple like a day on the water sort of thing. Oh, six days. Oh, wow. Wow. This is a big trip. 
Oh, it was awesome. You know, I had him to myself in the drift boat for six days. We were oh my mic'd goodness. up and there, we had two other boats chasing us all the time. And, you know, get him, get him into a pot of fish and he'd, he'd pick up eight or 10 on a little blue winged olive dry fly. And uh, then we move on to another spot. And, and uh, we did that for five days. And then the sixth day, they decided they needed to get some underwater footage. And they wanted to fish a different stretch of river. Well, you know what happens is the weather turned. It got a cooler, overcast, and the fish went down. And it was tough catching the fish. And when we did catch some fish, uh, they were all caught on number two, big streamers, woolly buggers, and that kind of thing. And uh, when the video came out, they had him catching a dry fly, and then they cut to a underwater shot of the fish <laughs> right. with a woolly bugger in his mouth. Just kind of lost the lost the continuity for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah, that's part of the. It's like Hollywood, right? It's uh, it was funny. Gosh, we had an interview. We were interviewing somebody. We were talking about. Oh, it was. You'll probably know this guy. It was. Um, it was. Uh, what's the big basin? I'm trying to think now. Um, gosh, it's just south of you. It's well. Let's see. Tell me this. This will answer the question. Where does where does the Bow River? What does it flow into eventually? What river? Well, it, it joins with the Old Man River uh, to form the South Saskatchewan River. Okay, and then eventually, where does it flow? Take us down, like the the river. Does it like does it head into a lake, or does it go into like eventually towards the ocean? It goes through Hudson to Hudson Bay. Oh wow! So, uh, the water works well. The Continental Divide, the water flows north, not south. Oh right, and uh, or is it the Canadian Shield? The Forty Ninth Parallel goes. There's only two two rivers that I know that cross the border in the west, and one is the Milk River, and the other is the Red River in uh, Winnip- uh, Manitoba and Dakota. Uh, the rest of them all flow north. Right. That's where it's always confusing for me sometimes, just being down south of you. It's hard picturing. Is there any, you know, if somebody wanted to learn more about that area, are you pretty much, are you into the geology and kind of the natural history and stuff of that area? Do you know it pretty well? Well, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty knowledgeable of it. The river, river valley is less than a hundred thousand years old. And, uh, uh, it was formed the ice age glacial movement. And of course, Alberta is, uh, one of the dinosaur provincial park is only an hour and a half away from Calgary. And they're still finding dinosaur bones around uh, Edmonton, Calgary and uh, Grand Prairie even. And, uh, so we got that history. And then of course we got the Rocky mountains. Rocky mountains. Uh, yeah. The Banff and Jasper and Waterton. Right, right, right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Cool. Well, I want to dig into a little bit on, and if I think of the, uh, the episode we have south, uh, down south, I'll, I'll mention it here, but, um, I want to dig into, you know, the, just fishing and maybe we could start with that trip on lefty. That might be interesting to take us down that as if you look back in that, that trip, you know, with lefty versus today, have things changed much as far as the fishing and the river? Oh, absolutely. The, the, the river has changed drastically. We've had since 1980, well, since, yeah, since 1985, we've had three major, major flood events uh, on the Bow River. Uh, the last one in 2013, and the river almost tripled in width in several places. Lots of the old traditional flow 
channeled is just gone. It's all wide now. And uh, water flows are being manipulated uh, through by the uh, Alberta Power Corporations. Uh, uh, they control the water flows from up, down, upstream. The water in the Bow River is augmented by uh, several small streams, but also the Kananaskis River and uh, Ghost River. And it's a tailwater fishery in, in, in respects because we've got uh, uh, the Bighorn Dam. Uh, Kananaskis has a couple dams. We've got CB Weir. we got the Ghost Dam. we got Bear's Paw Dam. And uh, so they manipulate the water levels for, for those. And we also have the Elbow River uh, coming in to, through Calgary. It comes out of Bright Creek area. And uh, 2013, we had a 19-inch rainstorm. Oh, wow. In one day? It, it, over, over a day and a half. Wow. And uh, the river went up. Downtown Calgary was flooded right up to the, Cal uh, the stampede grounds. And uh, it took a while to recover. You know, getting on the water after that, islands were gone that had been there for 25, well, for the 25 years of my career. They were gone and, and uh, new channels opened up and thousands of cottonwood trees were washed away. And it was interesting. And uh, with the major flood events, we've had uh, recuperation you know, getting more trout into the river, being that they're wild, is is not recovered as much. Uh, we've got trout in the river to 30 inches, but uh, recruitment is down from what I would like to see. I mean, we can't compete with the Utah Green River or the Bighorn River uh, because we don't have the hatchery trucks showing up. You know, the Green River is primarily hatchery fed. Uh, although there are trout that are spawning in there now. And, and the valley, the Bow River Valley from Calgary downstream is awesome. It's just really nice. We got 45 miles of what I call quality water. And uh, everybody calls it quality water that fishes it. You know, we got the whole variety. You could fish uh, articulated streamers down to size uh, 22. Uh, midges if you want it the, the fish are there for all of that opportunity right uh, the, yeah when i'm fishing with lefty i mean like he fished he fished primarily with the uh, uh blue-winged dollar dry fly but we also uh used the um uh white marabou muddler uh, mm -hmm. and that was two and that was on a size two hook and uh, he also caught fish on the woolly bugger. He liked the black woolly bugger with uh, copper, copper crystal flash in the tail. You know, a couple strands. And uh, but the fly that caught the most fish was the blue winged dollar dry fly. And we were fishing. We were fishing the first week of October for the video. Oh, first week of October. Wow. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, like I said, the weather changed on the Saturday. Uh, and like I said, it got overcast and cool. And on Sunday, Lefty flew out. I drove him to the airport in a snowstorm. No kidding. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> wow. 
yeah, it was a cool time. And uh, yeah, it, the other interesting fact about that trip was uh, about the 5th or 6th of September, we got a, a rainstorm or such. The river went up five feet, it was unfishable uh, until the day he flew into town. And once he once he arrived, the river cleaned up, dropped and it dropped and cleaned up. And the next day, the fishing was great. So there you go. And I want to talk about the drift boat too a little bit as we get into this. You know, as, as far as your fishing, do you cover a little bit of everything? It sounds like dries, streamers, kind of uh, throughout the year. Do you cover it all? Oh yeah, cover it all. Uh, you know, coming up this spring, we're going to swing uh, uh, stonefly nymphs and. Uh, small streamers and then we're going to look for you know like the mother's day caddis and and a few other dry fly opportunities um i like the spring because i can teach people how to read the water because it's low where we're standing uh, let's say on may 10th uh is ankle deep water and on uh, on july 10th it's over your head oh wow so uh or at least up to your waist anyway uh-huh. and uh and ripping right along so that's the runoff water oh that's the runoff and that's just the yeah so when can you in the spring so it's starting ice off is kind of happening now or are you fishing now oh yeah well there's guys out floating the river through the city stretch because of the of the dams they they uh you know they release water and it's not frozen so the the shore ice that had built up weather-wise has been melting away and there's no tight water uh, tight with ice uh, right now between Calgary and Carsland, which is over 45 miles. And so they're out there with their drift boats. They're floating the city stretch uh, primarily because the downstream access sites are still iced in. The river shore ice uh, prevents the guys from getting their vehicles close enough to the water to drop boats. But they're, they're, I mean, it changes daily. They'll be at it uh, pretty quick. I'm heading down, like I said, at the end of the month, uh, and I'll get to, I'll get that three, 30, 25 days of, of on the river opportunity in May. And then I come back as I figure the spring rains come uh, last week of May, first two weeks of June, and that'll put the river up maybe five feet if we're lucky. If we're not lucky, it'll go up eight, 10 feet, and uh, that'll just take longer to clean up. So then you wait. So what do, what do you do in between June once the water hits until it drops back down? Oh, I come back to Edmonton and I teach uh, teach fly casting, and uh, I take my kid out to some of the local ponds and we do a little little fishing and you know father and son stuff. We end up fighting about something or other. <laughs> <laughs> right there you go. So you got and you're and where is your uh, your shop at? I don't have a shop. I, oh no, I'm shop. I'm just a freelance guide. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, River Rat, they sometimes call us. That's right. So the bowriver.com, you just have the great website name. So you have, it, but yeah, you're guiding. So you're pretty much just guiding uh, when you can get on the water. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's sweet. So if I was coming up, if we were calling right now, kind of like you had Lefty back there in October, if I was calling you up now and saying, hey, you know, I'd love to come up there and do a trip, you know, um, sometime this year, when would you be saying, when would you tell me is the best time to come up? Well, I like July. I like uh, July is always the best time. Uh, the, the, what happens is the as the river starts cleaning up, it goes from brown to green. Once it gets to a green color, 
we spanked the bank with uh, woolly buggers or we spanked the bank with uh, uh, stonefly dries with a, with a nymph dropper and uh, worked that. And then, uh, every day the water drops more and it cleans more. And uh, the hatches come off. I mean, it, despite the color of the water, the caddis and mayflies are hatching at that time. So if we can find in the shallow enough water, and the shallow water is always looks cleaner than if it's four feet, right? And uh, we can find we can find fish laying in six to eight inches of water along the shoreline, and uh, we might be able to get out of the boat and do a little hunting stock fishing to see if we can't catch some of these big fish laying in shallow. And then, and we're still spanking the bank with stoneflies. The the we got a, the sabulosa, the big golden stonefly, and uh, it it's hatches uh, throughout the whole river column, and uh, it offers a, you know give us a, a dry fly, and so any kind of golden stone dry fly, and then uh, a nymph underneath it, even up to what they call the jimmy lace, which is a, a variegated uh, girdle bug type pattern, and. Uh, and then, of course, we got our dry flies uh, uh, as the backup. And, uh, you know, any, any caddis fly dry that you got should, should work. And then about halfway through the month, we change over from the stonefly dry to a hopper dry. And uh, you can start spanking with hoppers towards the end of July. Gotcha. Wow, this and, is cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, so it keeps us off, you know, the... the challenge of catching fish is always there you got to just kind of work through the pattern and then uh as you get into august depending on what the irrigation demands are and what the power demands are the water flows start to reduce greatly and uh last summer they put a put a three-week uh corridor on that you had to be off the water or, or not you had to be done fly fishing at two in the afternoon and you couldn't spill again after midnight. But a lot of clients don't want to come up and, and fish from daybreak to noon. They want to, they want to enjoy the, the full opportunity. So uh, August is going to be a kind of a write-off if it gets too, if they control the water flows and the temperatures go up. Now, in Alberta, a hot day is 90, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, versus I, I've been through Oregon and I remember crossing the border into California and hitting 113 degrees. Uh, and that was in, uh, that was in March. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the temperatures are, you know, as far as uh, coming to visit, they, they're fairly moderate really. Uh, for us, you know, we get a, a good day is 70 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, uh, we do have a little bit of breezy opportunities. One day it'll be calm. The next day it'll be blowing at, at 20 miles an hour upstream the whole day. So that also controls the, the stretches that I float. I'd like to row, but I don't like to push the boat downriver. No, definitely not. That's no good. So are you, so you guys pretty much are fishing out of the boat most of the day. Are you doing any stopping? Oh, no, 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 no. I, uh, the longest beat that I float is 20 miles and, and 20 miles takes six, seven hours to drift 
if the wind is not blowing upstream. So I can stop, but I, I stop for like 10, 15 minutes at a bucket and then get back in the boat and go to the next one. Uh, you can't spend a half an hour or an hour at any bucket. You'd be out there for 24 hours to do a six hour float, you know? So, so you got to keep moving. Yeah. And on the, my favorite stretch is only nine miles. And that only takes like three and a half hours to drift. And I spend eight hours out there. So I get them into a spot and get them out working the water, uh, nymphing upstream, swinging the fly downstream. Um, well, we got some beats that are half a mile long. So, you know, they can, they can work the water pretty good. And the fish are all, all through the river with. They're out there. What, what's your, what's it look like if you find a run for swinging flies? What would talk about like, what's your setup look like and what flies are you using? Well, in, uh, I no longer go to uh, sinking fly lines for any of the fiction because the water's maybe a good day, flow is four feet deep. And so I can get away with a floating line and maybe a nine to 12 foot leader. Uh, and depending on the, on the type of, uh, activity i'm experiencing i'll have on a, a number two woolly bugger with 30 wraps of lead on it or i'll have a size uh, size 12 partridge and orange soft tackle and uh, you know so just to cover the water and the opportunity um i like to teach people how to cast and if they can't cast 25 30 feet then we'll spend them in have them in close to shore and working working the nymphs and stuff if they got a good cast to them we'll get them a little heavier fly and get them out there 60 70 feet casting and uh we'll show them how to do it too yeah when you're swinging flies when are you and you're swinging you got the woolly bugger the size 12 like the you know soft tackle stuff when would you choose one or the other just based on what the okay the... spring yeah springtime i'll go heavier flies uh because a we're, we're we're looking for like the stoneflies are drifting because they're hatching and uh, the uh, minnows and stuff. The rainbow trout tend to want to spawn in the spring as soon as the water hits hits ten degrees Celsius or fifty degrees. So if they're spawning in the river, they're on reds. If they're moving up the Highwood River to spawn, uh, then they're out of our column of fishing anyway. And uh, so we'll try and search search for the fish with those woolly buggers and stuff. And we'll keep changing the pattern. Uh, I don't like a guy to stand in one spot uh, for half an hour fishing the same fly, doing the same swing without catching any fish. I try to get them to move. And every every dozen casts or so, change the damn fly. Change the fly and try something different. And uh, But you always got to keep moving. And the old trick is you can't catch fish unless the flies in the water long enough for the fish to eat it. Yeah. So, right. You got to keep And fishing. then as, yeah, as the waters drop and the uh, water warms up, then we'll start going smaller and smaller. And then towards the middle end of August and into September, I'll be swinging size 12 soft tackles. And uh, on uh, 5X tippet, if I could get them, get them to hang on to the fish. Now the fish may not be 20 inches long at that time. Maybe we're going to catch some six to 12 inch fish, but at least they'll catch some fish and, uh, uh, get to practice their casting and get their 
ducks in a row, as they say. Right, right, right. The other thing that I spend a lot of time with these guys uh, and girls is uh, rigging, how to, how to set up your stuff. You know, there's there's a granny knot, and then there's the clench knot, and then there's the Davy knot, and then uh, you know, there's all kinds of other things. How would you set that up for? How would you set that up for? Say, if you were like swinging flies, is it just straight up like nine foot leader, and then the fly on the end? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for basic basic setup, simple. Um, you know, we got all kinds of tippet material, and the clients, I tell them to come if they're going to be here. Early enough, I tell them to have at least zero x leaders and or three x leaders. Now the zero x is so I can start off with a fifteen pound tip in case uh, we're fishing a number two woolly weighted woolly bugger, and or I can tip it down to to as much as five x if we find out that we're swinging little coronamids or back swimmer soft tackles. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, let's see. I want to dig into, um, I want to get into a little bit on just kind of your gear. Um, I mean, what, what would be, let, let's say somebody's coming out with you, like what rod length of weight, just kind of nine foot, five weight. Is that kind of standard? Nine foot to 10 foot, five weights, four weights. Uh, and uh, if they need a backup rod, they can have a six or a seven weight. And uh, the guides, uh, well, I'm, I have extra rods in the boat in case the guy doesn't want to bring his his uh his extra rod along and uh fly patterns keep it simple i kind of let them know if they want to go and buy some flies and tie their own and uh i'll give give them an easy list of fly patterns but then when you walk into the tackle store and you see they got 32 different cast grasshopper flies you know, you get that self-doubt thing coming in and you kind of wonder what the heck am I going to get the customer? <laughs> right. You know, and it never fails. You say, okay, well, I'm going to use purple. And the guy says, ah, no, that's not working this week. We're going <laughs> to fish all of And right. uh, <laughs> just screw with you. JH Flyco may sound like a new brand, but they've actually been designing and manufacturing fly fishing equipment since 1978. Similar to Barry here, he mentioned they started in 1975. You can take a look at their huge selection of fly rods, reels, uh, tools, accessories, thousand fly patterns. They got all sorts of uh, great stuff over there. I've been using the sling pack. That's something I'm going to talk to Barry here in a little bit about. Um, I'm curious to hear what his vest is. But I love this sling pack, the Jackson Hole Sling. It's uh, it's just the right size. I was on the river the other day, and some of them get kind of large. This one seems like it's not too small, not too big. Uh, it's uh, if you need just enough for a you know heading out in the water for fishing and not for throwing all your junk in. This is literally for you know your fishing gear. It works out great. Uh, they actually ship everything directly to your door, saving you time and money. And, uh, and they've got it all covered. If you get a chance, I'd love for you to check out J.H. Flyco. We've been mentioning Jackson on the podcast. This is the same company, Jackson Hole Fly Company. Um, but J.H. Flyco is the place you need to go. Wetflyswing.com slash J.H. Flyco right now. And you can check in and see what they have going and, uh, and check out one of those sling packs. Actually, the other big thing here is they give you 25% off your order right now if you go over to jh flyco that's wetflyswing.com slash jh flyco and they will give you 25 percent off and free shipping on everything over 50 dollars. so you can't beat this deal 
and uh, and they are a great company, conservation-minded, all that. So we're going to get back into it with Barry right now and check in on what his vest is right now. Let's get back to it with Barry and see what he's got going. Let's take it to the gear because I want to I want to hear about your gear. So I'm curious. I, I pictured you in this boat. I think we talked about it off air. It's a Lavro, which has a cool history there. But what is your gear? Let's just talk about your pack. So do you have like your vest? Are you like old school? What do you have a vest or you just have stuff on your boat? What's that look like? What's your vest or your sling or how do you how do you hold your fly fishing gear? Uh, I uh, use a fish pond bag uh, with uh, the fly boxes in that. And I also carry a, a 55 quart cooler with fly boxes and extra reels and strike indicators and lead and toothpicks and all that there you go so you got the fish pond and you got the the cooler is that like a big uh like a yeti or just uh, like this whatever cooler uh, angle is the name on the cooler oh angle yeah yeah i've heard of them yeah. yeah angle that's right cool so you got all your gear there and and when you get out you know on any run let's let's take it back to well you we talked a little about swing let's take it to that stone fly because that's coming up here what's your setup look like with the stone fly like you got a big adult dry on there and then a dropper how do you set that up okay uh Depending on the client's ability to cast, the uh, water's off color or just about off color. I might go uh, using a, a zero X leader uh, to the to the dry fly, and then uh, drop it down a couple feet from that using uh, the nymph. And uh, the fly patterns there's so many hundreds of fly patterns available. Uh, just keep mixing and matching until you find one or, or here. And uh, as I mentioned earlier about going to the shop, the uh, a Chernobyl ant makes a great stonefly dry fly. And then uh, the girdle bug or jimmy legs, as they call it, makes a great dropper. Uh, I also like Whitlock's uh, uh, beadhead squirrel nymph that Montana used to tie and deliver uh, Montana fly. And that's a, on a size six hook. So my nymphs are at least size six and the dry flies have to support a size six with or without lead on it. Right. So you need a pretty big bushy dry fly. Foam is probably good. Yeah. And that's where the Chernobyl ant type pattern covers it because the foam will float. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So you got that out there and then you're casting in towards, are you kind of casting in towards the bank a lot or does it matter like where, like how are you reading the water to know where to cast this fly? Well, basically start off casting to the bank, but I'm looking for the, for the uh, uh, change of current, the seam, uh, for spot a seam. And with the history that I have, I know which side of the seam the deeper water's on. And uh, so we try and get the fly to hit into that area. So it's pot luck, really, you know, I'm not casting. So the customer has to be able to hit the spot and, uh, I just have to keep the boat close enough that they can reach it. All right. And so this is a lot of that you are. So what percentage of the time are you casting out of the boat versus stopping and casting on the bank? Well, there's no percentage. It's uh, basically time oriented when we're drifting from point A to point B or from one beat to another, uh, we're in the boat and uh, depending on the, I mean, like I said, uh, the stretch I like is three and a half hours in the boat uh, to cover nine miles. So the other stretch is six hours in the boat to cover 20 miles. 
So obviously, if you hear six hours and 20 miles, you know, I'm doing a lot more drifting uh, than out of the boat because of the distance. Um, the most popular float trip on the Bow River is what they call Policeman's Flats to McKinnon Flats. And that's 15 miles of river. And that could take anywhere from five hours, depending on the breeze. Uh, and so there's times that it can get out of the boat and, and fish some of the runs. And uh, I should mention that the rocks, I get out every night before they go fishing and grease them up pretty good. And uh, they're, they're really slippery rocks. And, uh, you know, the cobblestone in the Bow River is, is awesome because it allows lots of habitat for the insects to hide in. And we're talking cobblestone size of footballs and, and smaller. And, uh, of course, we got our boulders and everything else in the river, too. So that makes the challenging fishing. Yeah. And are you guys, when you're floating down, are you guys also doing, like, some overnight sort of trips? Well, I used to do overnight when I was healthy enough to go overnight. And uh, the three days, two nights on the river would cover the whole 40 miles of, of river. And and uh, there's two types of fish and there's deluxe and then there's the hot dogs over a, on a stick over a fire. <laughs> right. Which, which one did you like better? Uh, I did the Dutch oven cooking. That's pretty good. How did you do that? When you were healthy back, because I've done a little bit of that, and I know how hard it is of work, you know, uh, to doing that work. Did you, when you were in your prime, were you just doing, you know, setting up tents, doing like everything? Oh, I was a little smarter than that. I wouldn't do a camping trip with less than two or three guide boats on the river. Then I would put a third boat on the, uh, an extra boat on the river we called the hog boat. And he would take down their, ex the client's extra gear and my gear and, uh, he would have his responsibility was to get to get to the first night campsite, set up the tents, get some firewood and, yeah. and be there when when we showed up. Yeah, he was the bag. So you were smart. You had a bag boat that would set up. So you had the full deal and you had extra guys. Oh, yeah. So so you would be you would be out there like like you said, three days. What's that like? You know, when you do an overnight out there, what are the evenings like on the river? Well. The evenings can have excellent dry fly caddis action. So, you know, I get the, being the ramrod, I get there and cook the dinner because uh, that was my ego. And uh, when the dinner was done and that the, the guides that wanted to go fish and the clients, clients could go fish on their own or, or the guide would go with them. It was all fun. And, uh, I didn't care if they fished all night and just as long as they were there for breakfast in the morning. And, uh, uh sometimes it wasn't the fishing they were doing. It was the, uh, libation. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. That's right. Sometimes you'd have, that's the thing about the overnight, right? So you would have yeah. some, some beverages and people might stay up a little bit late and you know, the next yeah. morning would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, the big joke around the campsite was, uh, where they parked my tent for sleeping. And uh, it was usually 100 yards from everybody else because I snored so loud. Oh, right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Gosh. So so now you're you're not doing that anymore. So now you're basically just doing uh, day trips. Day trips, yeah. And uh, it's not a 9 to 5 thing. I, I might have the guys meet me at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning and fish until supper time. And then... Uh, if the fishing are warranted, we could stay out a little later. 
Now, Alberta is uh, the land of close to the midnight sun. So in July, it doesn't get dark until 11 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. And uh, that makes for a long day for a day rate. So, you know, I, I adjust my time uh, to cover that. But I'm not going to book a late night float trip on, on uh, one day and then have to do an early day the following day immediately. I, I, I need to get my 24 hours of sleep. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But you could fish. So in July, you could literally fish from whatever, 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And in July, you could get, like you said, hatches. I mean, you got plenty of hatches coming off in July. Well, they, they're not as uh, storybook as we would like them to be. If you're on the river and the hatch comes off at the right time, you're awesome. And uh, everything's changed with the floods and stuff over the years. Right. So it's different. It's different. Yeah. What is uh, throughout the summer? When, do you, when are you like, uh, you know, ending your fishing season during like later in the year? Oh, well, uh, my season is different from some of the, the newbies that are out there guiding now. Uh, I mean, they're already on the river trying to make a buck. They may go through to the end of October, but we're in that temperate zone. We could have May, we could have a snowstorm in May that'll knock us off the river for a couple of days. Uh, it's not because of the snow, it's because the gravel roads get wet. They can't get to the river. We're, we don't have a, we have some paved access sites, but a lot of them are still gravel roads. Gotcha. So you need to know. So yeah, that probably benefits some of the, yeah, some of those guys that are flexible. Well, again, it's not easy, right? You get, you get a blowout. Yeah. But it sounds like your July, July through September is the peak. Like, is that when you're covering things? Well, you got the early thing you said, May. So May and then July through September. Yes. Uh, July through to the end of September, for sure. The guiding, I like to guide. I like to row the boat. I'm, I'm no longer young enough to want to be out there seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Uh, I already did that routine and my ankles are shot. My knees are shot. My shoulders going, you know, that kind of old guy complaints, but, uh, I enjoy it. And, uh, if I'm down there and I get a trip on Monday and I don't get another trip until a week, Tuesday, I can't afford to stay in Calgary without doing a couple of days a week or three days a week would be awesome. So, but gotcha. yeah, it's, uh, I'll be 74 in May this year. That's right. Yeah. You're 74. You're, you're definitely, I wasn't thinking you're a young 74. That's right. So you're, what, what's your, what's it look like for you? Do you, you plan on just continuing to guide or what, what's your, what are you I, looking yeah, at? I, well, I like to row the boat and uh, I'm going to keep rowing the boat until they tell me I can't drive anymore. So, right. Um, uh, right. And I'd like to share what I have. So, you know, I put it all down in a book. Yeah. And uh, I published the book in 2018. And uh, it's called My Bow River because I talk about it from my point of view. And uh, covers uh, 365 days of of the Bow River. And it uh, describes the water from 17th Avenue Bridge to the Weir at Carsland, which is about 40 miles of water. And uh, we go through how to fish it, what to fish it, when to fish it, what the fishing's like at the various seasons. And uh, I've, I've incorporated all the favorite flies and flies that work. 
And uh, I try to incorporate a little bit of philosophy, catch and release, and, uh, you know, that there's more to the Bow River than just just uh, getting the grip and grin shot of hit me with a fish, you know, that right. kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good. That's awesome. I'm glad you mentioned that. My Bow River, we'll put a link in the show notes to that book. And, and, I, and I love that it's 365 because today – you know, we're not covering everywhere. We're kind of touching on the on the surface on some of this stuff, so people can dig in and kind of get a perspective of the full the full year. Oh, absolutely! Hey, and I wrote it for guys because there's lots of pictures. Oh, <laughs> that's good, right? So lots of pictures. That's what we love. So you have. So what would be the? Is there a big fish picture there? What's the biggest fish picture there? Uh, a thirty and a half inch brown trout with a twenty and a half inch girth. Oh wow! How many pounds is that? Well, the Orvis formula says it's about eighteen pounds. Jesus, and and it took one of the one of the woolly bugger patterns called the cow dung. Cow dung, cow dung, uh, olive body, uh, black tail, uh, bl- black marabou tail, and brown hackle. And uh, hey, the picture's in the book. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's in the book. So that's a huge. That's a gigantic fish. You mentioned a yeah. few flies. It sounds like the woolly bugger. Those are like when you talk streamers or whatever, you don't need to get right. crazy. The, the woolly bugger is a great pattern and it works there. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's uh, it's almost uh, earned the reputation of uh, it's too easy to catch fish with. Let's not use it anymore. Oh, Let's wow. Let's try and do something. Well, same thing as the red hook, you know, the San Juan worm. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you, had a woolly, if you had a woolly bugger and a San Juan worm, you could catch fish. But I don't think you learn a whole lot about fishing, uh, you know, because the, the fish, yeah. That's right. But we covered all. Yeah, you covered all. So the dry flies is, I mean, when you look at the dries, do you do you consider yourself pretty much like an expert? Do you really love the dry fly fishing? Do you get nerdy about the entomology and the hatches and all that stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We could talk, we could talk uh, uh, ephemerella in frequent, or we could talk about the... Uh, Oda Nada, and we can talk. Hey, you know, we actually have water boatmen and back swimmers and, and dragonfly nymphs in the river that are the secret hatches. Oh, uh, I was going to say, yeah, you mentioned Odonata, which is kind of like the actual, like, true flies, right? Odonata is, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you got water boatmen. So you guys are fishing water, uh, like water boatmen type flies? Yeah. And, and well, right now they're just uh, doing the first emergence. Uh, of course, I'm not there to catch up on it. And then uh, towards the end of August into September, they've come around again. And uh, Okay. So water boatmen, take us there a little bit because I've never heard of the water boatmen. I mean, I've seen them out there. They're those kind of cool bugs on the water. What's a fly that, that matches that and how do you fish it? Well, there's, there's no fancy pattern. The, the guys just tie a small beetle, a little weighted beetle. The, the water boatmen that we have here are size, size 18 to 20. Yeah, they're tiny. And, uh, tiny and they have the hard hard shell back and uh, we might use goose by it for the paddles or legs and uh swing them <laughs> oh and swing them and swing them yeah that's right because they do kind of hit and uh, is this on the surface too well there's no such thing as a dry fly because the the back swimmer requires air uh. and uh so there if you can find them in the river during the summer that's pretty rare uh, oh, okay but the, but they rise to the surface, get their air, go back down to the bottom. And uh, in the in September, what happens is they they fly out of the you know they emerge out of the water, fly around a little bit, and then hit the water hard. 
and, and, and hit the water and they go right to the bottom again. Oh, that's the, right. They don't stay on the surface. Wow, this is amazing. The water boatman. Yeah. Not, I was thinking of the, I was kind of thinking of the water striders for a second there, but yeah, it's the water boatmen, the little guys. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely not striders. No. no. No, 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 these are boatmen. Yeah, the boatmen. They're cool. Yeah, but watching boatmen go up and down the, in the water column is really cool. They're kind of fun swimmers to watch, right? Right. Any other unique uh, Bow River hatches that, you know, would be cool to think about out there? Or is it pretty much standard standard stuff? we got the late summer trico hatch and the spinner fall from the tricos. And uh, two seasons of stoneflies. And we got the hoppers. Uh, and in Alberta, we have... Uh, nine species of grasshoppers but the two most common ones are the are the um, carolina clipper clicker and uh, the two-stripe uh, hopper and these were these both are up to size two hooks uh, they get to be fairly big and uh, you know morris hopper is fairly common up here now and but dave's dave whitlock's uh, dave's hopper was really good but there was a lot of guys don't want to spin deer hair anymore. So there's a uh, cacophony or what's the word? Lots of options in stoneflies, the chubby, the double chubby. And these are just foam flies with a little bit of angel wing or whatever they call it on there to create the indicator. Gotcha. Wow. This is, yeah, it sounds like, and a lot of this stuff, like you said, you cover this in, in your book as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I want to touch on the drift boats just really quick because I want to make sure I don't miss that. I'm a big drift boat nut and I love, we had a whole okay. season, whole season on drift boats and I, I didn't have anybody from Lavro. I know they're, I don't think they're in business anymore, but talk about like your drift boat, describe it. Like wh- what year was it built? Is It's a Lavro, right? Yeah. Lavro and I, 1985, uh, it's, uh, they call it the 16, 16 foot fly, fly, fly designation. Uh, meaning a seat in the front, a seat in the back, and then the rowing seat in the middle. And uh, the rowing seat was adjustable for one, two, you know, whether I had one or two people in it, I could balance the boat. I I run nine and a half foot uh, Sawyer oars and uh, uh, with what they call it, I think it's a scallop blade on it. Oh, the scallop. And uh, I like it. And uh, I still use lead anchors. So I, mold my own i got 35 to 50 pound lead anchors on the back to hold the boat in spots and uh at one point i had six of them and uh but i'm down to one now and uh you know it's 35 years old so every time i i have to double check to make sure she's still watertight right right so how is that is it is it it still a pretty durable boat you you get you're holding water oh yes it's very durable boat the toughest part of the boat, uh, our work on the, on the boat is riding on the trailer, on the bunks. You know, the, you get a rock in there and eventually you'll pound a hole through the boat. Oh, wow. And have you done that? Have you had to patch holes? Oh, yeah. Last year I had a hole on each side of the boat. And how do you how do you patch a hole? Just to slap some fiberglass yourself on it? Well, if I don't have fiberglass handy, I'll use five-minute epoxy. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So this boat has some uh, has some uh, use. In it. You could tell it's been used over the years. Oh, absolutely. with love, with yeah. love, <laughs> <laughs> with love. Are there? And you yeah. tell me about this. You had this thing. It was a. I can't remember if it was a photo or a video. I think it was a photo of you going through the white water, uh, and it was oh, like, Harvey Passage. Yeah, talk about that because you guys have some white water on the river. 
Well, yeah, but not not necessarily that you have to fish through. Harvey Passage is uh, in the middle of, well, it's actually upstream from what I call the quality water. And it was originally just a, a, an inflow weir that uh, diverted the water to the to the Western Irrigation District. And uh, they put chain booms across the river to prevent people from going over it because it had a back well, uh, meaning that if you went down, you'd get rolled right back into it. And if you didn't have the right boat or the right gear, you would drown yourself. Oh, wow. So it'd suck you in. It's like a, a keeper hole. It'd keep your boat right. in the hole. Yeah. So they got the, they got some whitewater guys in there and they got some engineers in. And what they did was they reduced the, 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 the uh, drop and stretched it out. And they created, uh, there's three or four drops now to, uh, continue the flow and uh a couple of years ago and I, I got to believe it was around 2012 2013 2014 somewhere in there when they uh, uh they invited some drift boats and uh, kayakers to to check out how their engineering was and uh me being the oldest guide on the river i figured i wanted to be one of the guys to go through it and uh so I had to join the Whitewater Association and pay my dollar membership, which was a dollar lifetime membership or something like that. I don't know. And uh, showed up there and they didn't have any trailer to access sites. So we had to kind of crash the boat over the over the riprap to get it in the water to start with. And I had the boat set up to go fishing. I, I mean, I had my two coolers in there, my my Yeti for the groceries and my angle for the flies and i had my 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 nikon camera and i oh, had wow. uh three or four flyers you weren't planning on dumping your boat in this thing I, you had all your gear in it yeah i i i just didn't didn't go chicken on it i didn't know otherwise i even had the anchor hanging off the back oh wow and uh we did the different drops uh, accordingly and uh the last drop was the most uh challenging when they they thought and uh, uh i had to get uh, josh uh, nugent the owner of out fly fishing uh he was there with his boat and he had a, a guy on shore with camera and uh i had to get him to take the pictures what was the run like when, when you hit the hole did it hold you at all did it stick you at all oh no 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 because well, i already know how to row a boat yeah, you just you just punched through it, and it was no big. Oh you, yeah, yeah, I just maneuvered through it. No water over the side or anything. Oh, just uh, maybe a half a cup. Yeah, half a cup. <laughs> have you ever have you ever been in a situation where you were a little close to dumping your drift boat? Oh, I did dump my drift boat in four inches of water. Oh, you you dumped it? Oh, I got to tell you the whole story. Uh, I had a couple clients in the boat, and the guy had a fish on, and I. Uh, I tried to impress upon him to just get the fish in. It was only like 10, 12 inches. Oh, it's fighting hard. Oh, it's fighting hard. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm coming up to a split in the river. So I got to go either left or right. And I didn't think there was enough water to go right. So I rode the boat out from shore uh, to, to the other side. And uh, I finally got the fish in the net. And uh, I'm coming down to the 
tip of the next island and I'm going to pull the boat in to land it. And uh, I tell the guys to sit down and I, I've got the net in the water out the right side of the boat. Uh, I'm rowing with the left oar so I can get over to the, to the river right shore. And uh, then I slip the anchor rope and I let a bunch of rope out and uh, let go of the oar. And as the boat starts to swing downstream, both these Packerwoods stood up on the right side of the boat at a tip. Oh. Okay. Then it tripped on a rock. Oh, right. And, and the flow pushed us right up and uh, threw me out, out of the boat, uh, lost the oar, lost my glasses, uh, landed the fish. <laughs> wow. So you flew out of the boat. Literally, you're in the air flying into the water. Well, I tumbled. I tumbled out of the boat. <laughs> you tumbled. I, I tumbled. Yeah, you're you're not a small guy, right? You've never been a yeah, small yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. They don't throw me anymore. They just roll me out. <laughs> right. And uh, got the boat righted. Uh, meanwhile, the oar's gone off downstream. And uh, Phil was downstream. He grabbed the oar and pulled over to park. And, and uh, I got everything under control. We got the fish released. Yeah. So you didn't actually dump the boat, go upside down. No, no, it didn't go upside down. That's good. Uh, it went, went halfway, though. I mean. You it, had water. Did you have water coming in over the gunnel? Over over the right side, yeah. Some yeah, water came in. But yeah. as soon as I got everybody tipped back over, then it took a few minutes to bail out the water and uh, got it done. And uh, I barely talked to those guys the rest of the day. Oh, right. They were a little, <laughs> little freaked. Yeah. <laughs> well, they weren't listening to me, so why talk to them? Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They weren't listening. That's that's their, yeah, no, I hear you. But that's the only time. And uh, got downstream, got my oar, got settled down, continued on the float. Perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, just looking back, we've covered today, we've talked about a little bit of the timing. If somebody was coming there, it sounds like there's a good window of opportunity and there's plenty of hatches. What would you recommend if somebody wants to get ready for this trip? They're coming there. Is there like a resource, other, any other guy? They got your book, obviously. There must be some fly shops around the area too. Oh, yeah. There's uh, four or five fly shops in Calgary, including including the Fish and Hole. Uh, okay. Yeah, they're a general tackle store. Uh, we have both Bass Pro and Cabela's in Calgary area. But on the south end of Calgary, we got the Fishtails Fly Shop and out fly fishing uh, fly shop. And uh, on the north side, we got Iron Bow. And then downtown, we got the uh, Bow River Trout Fitters. Bow River Trout Fitters, and, uh, Yeah, and they're all uh, access on the, on the uh, internet and stuff, Facebook. Uh, if you phone any of the fly shops to book a day with Barry, uh, you're not gonna get booked because I'm too busy, they say. And uh, they have a guide that'll take the trip. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So they can't. So if somebody wants to track you, what if somebody really wants to get on the water with you? Is it, it go to, you know, bowriver.com or give you a call? Bowriver.com or phone me at, at 780-999-0695. And my email is bowriver.berry at gmail.com. Perfect. And, and we're going to keep in touch with you all, uh, all actually... Um, I want to follow up with you and, and just, uh, you know, I'd love to get up there as well and check it out. You know, I love that story of, of lefty, you know, getting up there, but, uh, 
but I, I, I've heard a lot about the river and it sounds like a pretty cool place. Um, let's take it out here really quick. I got this uh, quick little segment. This is only going to take a few minutes. Our, uh, we're calling this a new segment called the Whiskey, Bacon, and Boombox. This is uh, uh, from uh, Ranger, uh, from Range Meal Bars. They noted, uh, I was asking him about his hiking uh, food and stuff and he mentioned these things. But when you look back at you as far as, you know, on the river, you're doing one of these trips. You mentioned, you know, back in the day, uh, these overnight trips. How long has it been since you've done one of these overnight trips? Oh, got to be 15 years. Yeah. So it's been a while. When you're on the river, was there ever a time where you had music people had, or was that like off limits? No. No. Okay. That's come up a couple of times. So that's good. Um, what is your, you know, you mentioned your, your boat. So if that Lavro gets a major hole, what's your plan? Are you, are you uh, planning on getting another boat or are you going to stick with that one till the end? Oh, I, mean, I can stick with this one because fiberglass is so easy to fix and uh one of my best buddies taught fiberglass technology plastics technology at the northern alberta institute and uh although he's as old as i am now uh i can still twist his wrist into doing a little fiberglass work yeah so basically that's it you've got a boat that's what's amazing about fiberglass is you have this boat that literally you could just patch it it's like i mean if that was an aluminum boat or a wood boat you might have some problems but that thing is will be around for probably the next 20 years yeah yeah no but if, if somebody if i somehow lost the boat and did not have access and i decided i wanted to to stay on the river uh, the two boats that got my interest right now are the stealth craft and and the clack craft and clack craft yeah those are two two great boats yep we did an episode with in our drift boat series with the founder of stealth craft it was a really cool story he's got all sorts of interesting tweaks and stuff like that so so cool, Barry. Well, I think we'll leave it at that and I'll send everybody out, like we said, bowriver.com and I'll follow up with you at a later point when we need to, uh, you know, dig in and maybe get on the water if, uh, you know, if we get a chance. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for all your time today. We'll put links to your book and everything in the show notes and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Dave. It was nice talking with you. There it is, wetflyswing.com slash 461, 461, wetflyswing.com slash 461. Check it out. Take a look at Barry. He's over there right now, and you get a look at what this guy looks like. If you don't know Barry, he's a good-looking uh, big guy. So take a gander and see what uh, see what Barry has going. I hope we tuck in a couple of videos there as well, and and just keep this conversation going a little further. We're going to keep trying to dig into the uh, the blog this year, trying to add more content to help uh, provide a little more extra value for each episode. So so have a look and let me know what you think. Quick listener shout out before we get out here today. Thornton Tom, Thornton Tom, Thornton Tom checked in and said, Hey Dave, I live in Washington and I am a hardcore river fisherman, trout, steelhead, and salmon. Most of the time when I hit lakes, I am fishing for small and largemouth bass. I fly fish for surf perch on the West Coast and tarpon in the Keys. I do fly fish Puget Sound for cutties and resident silvers, anything spay. I am certainly interested in certified spay geek. I've listened to your podcast for a long time, usually when I am on long distance drives. There we go. Thornton, thanks for checking in today. I appreciate you for supporting the podcast and uh, and always love checking in and uh, we'll keep in touch with you down the line. If you want to get a shout out on this podcast, you can do that really easy. Uh, just send me a message, email dave at wetflyswing.com. Let me know where you're coming from, what you're fishing for, where you're at in the world. 
Um, we're trying to knock off um, not only all the countries, all the states, all the provinces, but we're just trying to connect with people all around the world. So if we haven't uh, heard from you yet, now's the time. Check in. You can also check in with us at uh, on Instagram at wetflyswing. If you want to get your answer uh, for the Q&A sec- segment, you can do that right now on Instagram. Check it out. And uh, we would love to have you there if you're not following on Instagram. It's a good way to keep up with uh, what we have going on some of our events as well. Okay, let's take a quick peek at where we are heading next after this. And then we will jump on out of here. Here we go. Where are we heading next? Let's take a look. So, wow. Yeah, we got some good stuff this week. I mean, we're just kicking this off, right? So tomorrow we're turning right around and we're jumping over with with, uh, Yanni. And we are heading into Finland. And the next day, we are heading into the Rogue River. Rogue River with some serious, uh, this is going to be the step-by-step breakdown. So if you wanted to fish that river, that's huge. And I'm not even going to look ahead at the following week. I'm just staying week by week. we got so much stuff going on here. Uh, that's where we're going to keep it right now. So, uh, so that's what I got for you today. I appreciate you for uh, listening all the way till the very end. And I would love to connect with you online. I would love to connect with you on the river. we got some trips coming up this year. Some big trips, so it would be great if you get a chance. Anytime, you can go to wetflyswing.com slash school, and you can see what schools we have coming up and what's live and what's going on with the giveaways and all that. All right. Hope you are having a great afternoon, a great evening, or great morning, wherever you are in the world, and I appreciate you for supporting the podcast, and I look forward to talking to you very soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.